Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Tuesday, September 22nd. And pre-recorded from my apartment in Ben's attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today in the program, Ben Jarofsky's former first Tuesday sidekick, Mickey D. McDumpkey, returns. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Mick Dumpkey Tuesday, and here's why. You all know why I've been talking about this all day, all yesterday, two days in a row I've been talking about this. My dear friend, Mick Dumpkey, my former partner in crime, my former colleague uh, at the, the Reader, lifelong football fan. He played football. He was a high school All-American quarterback. And, and I can't even get that BS out. Sorry, Nick, I was trying. I was really trying. He was a high school All-American, broke all of Michael Vick's records in Virginia, and uh, has recently announced that he's through with football. And as soon as I heard that announcement, I said, I got to get Mick Dumpke, uh on the show to talk about it. So, Mick, are you ready for your big moment? I'm here. You mean my second big moment after my All-American career is what you mean. <laughs> you know, I was trying to think of some great high school football player from Michigan. Mick is actually from Michigan. By the way, Mick Dumkey's a reporter, I got to say this, at ProPublica, and he usually comes on to talk about one of his investigations at ProPublica. We may work some of that in toward the end of the conversation, but we're here we're talking about Mick Dumkey, football fanatic fan. Uh, but anyway, Mick, I was trying to think of a, a great high school football player out of Michigan, and my mind froze, and all I could think of was Michael Vick, and he's from Virginia, I want to say. He's not from Michigan, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there are quite a few. I will name one uh, longtime NFL player. Everyone may not remember him, but guy played in the NFL for a number of years named Rob Fredrickson. He played for, among other teams, the L.A. Uh, Raiders and or they in Oakland at that time. He played for the Raiders, wherever they were at that moment. And he also played for uh, Phoenix Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals. And um, he was a classmate of mine and a teammate of mine. Um, I remember playing football with him in, on the playground in fifth grade, and then we were on the same high school team, obviously. And then he went on to be a star at Michigan State and then the NFL for years. So I'll throw Rob out there. Rob, if you're listening, which I hope you are, um, way to go, man. Way to go. 
All right. Uh, before we get into the dimensions of your objections to football, and it has to do with politics, race, uh, and just a, a sheer lust for more money, uh, why don't you talk a little bit, Mick, about your love for football? And, you know, how you grew up loving football or and playing football, et cetera, and so forth. So talk a little bit about football in your life. Sure. And in case anyone out there, Ben, did not detect our sarcasm, I was not an all-star, all-American <laughs> player. Um, okay. I did play, believe it or not, people who see me in person would be in disbelief, but I did actually letter in high school football and had a was on a very good team. Um I myself wasn't that good, but our team was very good. And I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, I grew up in a football loving household. It's not an overstatement to say that my family made the middle class because of football. My grandfather was a, a high school star and um, ended up playing college football, uh, being a college football star at Indiana University. He was a running back. And such were things in those days that when he was being recruited, he, uh, this is at least the family legend, he cut a deal that he would go to Indiana as long as they took his younger brother and his best friend too. So all three of them went uh, from Southwest Michigan, where I grew up, down to Bloomington, Indiana, uh, to play uh, college football. All three lettered at IU. And I grew up, um, it was the rare household, excuse me, in Southwest Michigan, which was uh, sort of the crossroads. It was a very college sports, especially college football area, a big fan. And people liked the Bears, some people liked the Lions, but that what happened on Sunday was far less important than what happened on Friday at high school games and on Saturday in college games. It was sort of the crossroads of, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Michigan State fandom. So we're only 35 miles from South Bend, but we're in the state of Michigan. So there are a lot of Michigan, Michigan State people. And I was an Indiana fan amid all that. So that was really weird, especially since Indiana, for most of my childhood, was dreadful at football. Hmm. Um, but long story short, I grew up going to games. We would go to uh, Bloomington at least once a year to see a game. Um, and uh, since Chicago was uh, two hours as opposed to Bloomington, which I believe is about four and a half or five hours drive, we would often come over here to see Indiana play Northwestern. So the years that, that the Hoosiers traveled to Evanston, we would make the trek over here. Um, as you and some of our listeners know, I ended up going to Northwestern as an undergrad. And that is in large part because we took these family trips over to see football games. And I fell in love with the campus as a little kid long before I knew anything about the school. Um, so we can, uh, you can blame it all on my love for football. The fact that I ended up in Northwestern and probably that I ended up in Chicago, uh, working in Chicago uh, is all because of my football fandom. Um, so very, uh, you know, everybody on Saturday in my house, we would get together, we would watch the games, um, sometimes we get together with my grandparents, aunts and uncles. Uh, to this day, um, now that our family has grown and people have married and so forth, we've got uh, a good chunk of the Big Ten covered in our family. And so this is, I will even get text messages. Before my grandmother died in her 90s a few years ago, I would get calls or messages from her about how Northwestern did that day or how they're going to do 
Um, and I will still get those calls and text messages from not just my father, but my mother. Um, so my sister went to U of M, my younger brother went to uh, Indiana, um, an uncle who went to Wisconsin, a cousin who went to Michigan State, and we're all trash talking on the average. <laughs> okay? The world I grew up in. And oh yeah, I did actually, like I said, we said, I did actually play college football, or uh, high school football. Um, was a, uh, a hard-hitting uh, 135 or 140 pounds in high school. <laughs> uh, defensive back, receiver, and um, uh, played enough to get in to get my letter. Uh, like I said, my junior year when our team went nine and zero regular season, lost in the playoffs. And um, the last thing I'll say is my class never lost a regular season game from seventh grade through twelfth grade. Um, eventually, lost in the playoffs when we were in high school. Uh, my senior year, I actually didn't play my senior year, but the team finished uh, runner-up in the state of Michigan that year. Um, so that's plenty of background. As you can tell, I, I've always loved football. I grew up in it, and I am absolutely disgusted right now. All right. Before we get into uh, your current reasons for disgust, I suppose my question is, why did it take you so long <laughs> I to get disgusted with football? Uh, I'm kind of serious when I ask the question. I mean, a little bit facetious, but you and I would go to football games. Uh, I have to disclose this. I make us a season ticket holder at Northwestern. And uh, every now and then, I'm the lucky guy who gets the call. Hey, I got an extra ticket. You want to go? Yeah. I, st- I still, by the way, have not left football. Just so people know that. Um, there's so many contradictions in football, Mick. Yeah. And I think... The first time you and I had to come face to face with it in a real graphic way was the Joe Paterno, uh, the, the sex scandal at Penn State. Somehow or other, your um, love for football survived that. So just, you know, w- were you resisting feelings of disdain for football? Were you battling it back? Uh, is this a long time coming? Well, which part of it are we talking about? I mean, I think we have to kind of break it into pieces because you're right. I've been troubled at many points in the past, including uh, dating back to being a high school player. I grew up in a segregated town, St. Joseph, Michigan. Um, Our our so-called twin city is Benton Harbor on the other side of the river. And St. Joe at that time, and still now, but at that time certainly was – almost all white and Benton Harbor was uh, majority black. And, you know, I would just hear stuff in the locker stuff in the locker room was disgusting and uh, racism jokes people would make. And um, I, I, I don't think that was unique to football, <laughs> unfortunately, but you would, you would hear stuff um, like the week before the, uh, the game against Benton Harbor, uh, you would hear stuff. People would start making jokes. Um, a weird thing was, it was almost this paternal kind of uh, racism where if other people from outside St. Joe or Benton Harbor said something about either town, people would get really pissed off. Like people in St. Joe would stick up for Benton Harbor if somebody else said it, but then they felt the right to say something. So way back, what I'm saying is way back, even when I was you know 16 or 17 years old, 
I would hear things that I uh, weren't unique to football, but that I associated with football um, in terms of the racial dynamics of the sport. Um, and uh, in, in the way it broke down in our town was uh, football season was all St. Joe. I mean, we were a dominant at that time. We were a dominant team in our conference and usually a state power as well. And Benton Harbor was terrible at football. And so uh, frankly, it was a it was a game I looked forward to because I was going to get to play because I knew we were going to win so big I was going to get in the game, um, and then uh, we would get our comeuppance come basketball season. But we would just get our butts kicked um, in both games. Usually, we would play both home and away against Benton Harbor, and that's just kind of the way the seasons uh, went there. Um, so my distaste for um, some of the cultural associations I have with football dates back way back then. But um, what can I say? I also see some, I also, first of all, just love the sport. It's an exciting game. And second of all, have seen uh, some many good parts about it. I mean, you know, my grandfather way back when the game was uh, probably all white when he was playing, uh, like I said, got a college education because of football. And there's many other people who have, since then. So I think that I always um, uh, understood there was another side of it and or justified, um, you know, if we're talking specifically about college football, I would justify it because of some of the of the upsides to it as well. So what put you over the top? Well, most recently, I am, uh, of course, the news of, of the last week or two, seeing the Big Ten uh, the buildup to their big cave-in, maybe that's a contradiction, The uh, you know, seeing the fact that the Big Ten appeared to do, to be following health guidance and seemed to take a bold stand a few weeks ago when they announced they were not going to play a season this fall. Uh, they would pursue perhaps a season in the winter or the spring uh, because of COVID. And they were doing this in the interest of player safety, you know, student athletes, all that jargon we hear all the time. And then lo and behold, uh, the Southeastern Conference, Notre Dame, other schools around the country, um, certainly south of the Mason-Dixon line, but not just those schools, decide to go ahead and play. And even though there are outbreaks and games are canceled and players are quarantined along the way and the LSU coach, uh, Louisiana State coach, basically says casually, oh, yeah, most of our players have had COVID, as if it's not a big deal. The Big Ten still decides to go ahead and get the season going anyway. So they're planning to start mid-October now with an abbreviated season. Um, and they're coming up with all sorts of justifications for it. Ben, you and I have hung around each other a lot. We've talked um, – informally just us hanging out we've talked on your show we've talked in public forums we have bs detectors i know bs when i smell <laughs> and this is bs you know this is about the money they decided they didn't want to lose out some of the uh big 10 athletic departments are hurting because football is a big revenue generator and i'm sympathetic to that part of it but you know their solution is basically like to hell with player safety and everything else. We're going to come up with excuses about how we're going to deal with that. And we're going to go ahead with the season despite, you know, all the reasoning we had just a, a few weeks ago. So I'm just, I'm disgusted. And it's the culmination of many things, but that's the, that's the big thing right now. 
Well, now, it seemed like you were heading in this direction on the pro level, uh, going back to Colin Kaepernick and the political fallout over his protests. Uh, what's your particular discuss with the pro level, with football on the, in the NFL? My discuss is exactly what you said. I, I admittedly have never been as big a pro fan as I have been a college fan. Um, for the reasons I explained earlier, just I grew up in a in a community and in a home where college was seen as the more exciting kind of football, and I still kind of feel that way. But um, you know, listen, I live in Chicago. I grew up. I grew up in high. I was in uh, high school, a ninth grade trip to Washington D.C. We got stuck in the airport because of a snowstorm, and at the airport, we all watched the Bears win the 1986 uh, Super Bowl. So. I mean, I've been a Bears fan, um, not a rabid one, but a Bears fan going back a long time. And living in Chicago, of course, you get absorbed by Bears, uh, in, the insane Bears uh, popularity <laughs> here and fandom. Yeah. And, you know, I've always had kind of fun just being sort of on the, the fringes of that and just enjoying the coverage of the Bears as much as the actual Bears game. But you're right, the last few years, I just have had enough with the NFL and the, the way that Colin Kaepernick's uh, protests against um, racism and, and police, the lack of a police accountability, police brutality, the way that is what was handled by the league. I just was like, that's it. I can't watch this. I cannot, I cannot feel entertained by this league anymore. And I say that knowing that there are some logical fallacies in that. I mean, most of the players who deserve to be paid because their their skills are at a premium. Most of the players are, are African-American, right? So, like, I'm protesting black players along with the league. And, and let's face it, Ben, no one – no one notices my protest. My protest has done nothing. You know? <laughs> so I've I noticed it. <laughs> I just, I just, the Kaepernick situation, the way that he was uh, basically not allowed to work again, not basically, he was, his career was ended because he had the courage to speak up um, and do so in a dignified manner, I might add. It just disgusts me. I just, I just can't deal with it anymore. So I've, I haven't watched, um, more than a play or two, like in passing, uh, of the NFL since then. Wow. That's uh, interesting because the NFL is getting it from the other side as well. Uh, in, in, uh, Donald Trump's, uh, you know, bl- blasting the NFL for, uh, I don't know what he would like, what, what does he want to like shoot Colin Kaepernick or something like, you know, exile him to Siberia Yeah, and go back to where I, you're from or whatever, which I think is a, paraphrase although a very close to the exact quote of mike ditka um by the way uh basically saying that if you he basically said love it or leave it he said that several times most recently the last couple days if you want to protest then just leave the you know get out of here go back to where you're from leave the country you know kind of thing so well i I really struggle with my uh love for football i don't have the love for college football that you do uh I enjoy going to games immensely, as you know, on a nice day, but I don't follow college football at all uh, other than going to the games with you. Uh, But I am a Bears fan and I struggle with this dimension. And for years and years, Mike Dicka was tolerated. He was a revered figure in Chicago yeah. sports. More than tolerated, Ben. Yeah, yeah. he was. He was uh, in the spotlight. He, he was uh, compensated 
And he was the biggest right wing blowhard. And he was given a total freedom to speak whatever popped into his mind without any consequence whatsoever. All right. Uh, this is my other mini obsession. Hank Williams Jr., the son of Hank Williams, is the uh, the voice that you see. At, well, he was. They just removed him again for, for Monday Night Football. This is a man who has a song called If the South Would Have Won, which is a song that is pining for the South to have won the Civil War. OK, this guy is celebrated in football. Colin Kaepernick takes a knee. He's exiled. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, Mick, it's really hard for me to deal with the blatant pandering of the NFL to like racist whites while telling black players, shut up, stand in line and you'll get compensated until your knee blows out. And then we'll shut up, bash your brains in, get your brains bashed in. And uh, just, you know, engage in the gladiator match for our entertainment um, and don't say anything about, you know, your position in American society, the American caste system. I mean, it's I agree. Listen, this is where I am. I just can't do it anymore. I can't do it. Now, uh, so know, the real is, question is, is the NCAA yeah. is NCAA football really fundamentally better. I don't know that it is. And I think. One of the things I'm so bothered by the Big Ten move and just generally college football, this, the way it's unfolded during the pandemic is, you know, gets to issues you and I have talked about when literally when we're at the stands in the stands watching a game, which is, <laughs> you know, the fundamental hypocrisy of big time NCAA athletics, which is like the myth of the student athlete. Sure, there are plenty of there are plenty of athletes who are actually going to school. They're doing something with them with their, they're going to go do something with their degrees. One of the people I cheered for a number of years ago, Jason Wright is now the president of whatever the Washington NFL team is going to be called. Um, And yeah, I think that's totally cool. He's the first African American president of an NFL team. And he was a star player at Northwestern. So there's an example of a guy who truly was a student athlete and has gone on to do things with his life. And there's many, many others. So I don't want to dismiss, I don't want to just group everybody together, but fundamentally it's a money machine. And these athletes are out there. They, they, yes, they get a good edge. You know, they have a possibility, the opportunity to get an education room and board, all that kind of stuff, but they are not justly compensated for the value of their labor. And that's a real issue. There's so many hypocrisies. We could talk for hours just about the NCAA, but that has bothered me for a while too. The more I've thought about it, the more I've become aware of it. Um, you and I talk, have talked about safety, you know, the issue of uh, what we know football, contact sports generally, but especially football can do to your brain over time. That's bothered me for a long time. And so I think that, the question you had earlier is one many people may ask. I was like, what took you so long? <laughs> well, I have this longstanding attachment and almost like a family commitment, as I explained earlier. But I'm just at the point where I'm just ready to say forget it for, for every level of football. I'm just so I'm just so disgusted. And, and the culture wars that have um, the, the cultural issues surrounding football now are, are maybe maybe that's the thing that's finally going to get me to wake up. 
Explain that. What do you mean by the cultural wars that have surrounded football? Well, we're just talking about. It. I mean, it's become, uh, you know, it's like football is increasingly associated with. Um, right now, it's associated with Trumpism. With uh, the president wants it to be associated with him. Of course, he's boasted that his call to the Big Ten's president was the decisive factor in them deciding to go back. to to play football, which I don't think is true, but you know, he's going to claim it like he claims he's freed hostages and everything else. Uh, and, and the stuff we were just talking about with the NFL, I think the, um, the rise of the Southeastern conference as the predominant power in college football, where they are, um, they're good. They're the, it's the best college. It's the best conference of college football, top to bottom. Uh, but you know, these are schools that uh, not so long before I was born barred uh, black students entirely. And now most of their teams are black and you got stadiums full of prim- primarily white people cheering them on. And, you know, they don't adhere to the same academic standards as other places. They're basically a lot of these schools are factories. They are football or in some cases, basketball factories. And, uh you and I have talked about that before too, Ben. I mean, these are rules that are essentially made to be broken. And in some ways you have to, you have to, uh, you have to sort of not admire, but you have to sort of nod to the coaches who are very upfront about the fact they're, they're flogging the system. They're not running uh, an academic powerhouse. They're hired, they're paid millions of dollars to win football or basketball games and that's what they do Mm -hmm. Uh, i think i'm rambling a little bit here but it's just a summation of all these different things right now that i'm just i'm just discussing with and i shouldn't put this all in the southeastern conference because the same things are happening in the big 10 and everywhere else as we're seeing now well one thing that uh, i had a laugh out loud and you and I have the BS detectors on all the time because we spend so much of our time following politics in Chicago uh, and uh, and in the country in Illinois. Uh, but when uh, Morton Shapiro, the president of Northwestern University, so after the Big Ten um, reversed itself and decided to uh, have a season, uh, some reporter asked him, I don't know who did, or maybe it was at a press conference, well, why'd you change your mind? And and he said, well, uh, he quoted uh, economist Paul Samuelson, I'm doing this off the top of my head here, Mick, uh, where he said something like, when the facts change, I change my mind or something. And I had a laugh out loud. I mean, you talk about the BS machine. They had that quote ready to go for him. I'm like... Dude, you guys realize the consequence you owe, the money you're going to miss. Nothing changed about the medical threat of the pain. It's not like suddenly a scientist said, oh, you know, uh, we figured out that if they breathe on each other and spit on each other, it won't really spread the disease. You know, it wasn't like. They've not claimed that, but then they they literally have said that it's based on science. They're claiming that this that this reversal is based on science, including President Shapiro. You're totally right. And I saw that. You laughed out loud. I started yelling at the newspaper. <laughs> I'm just like so disgusted. I'm just like, you know, I yeah, just come on and say, look, we can't afford to not play football. I mean, the University of Iowa, where I believe one of your daughters attended, um, has said that it's cutting all of its swimming programs and several others, you know, non-revenue generating sports because 
it can no longer afford to 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 have those programs due to the loss of that's what they're claiming. I mean, I, I have not investigated the uh, Iowa Athletic Department or their budget, but that's what they have said. And, you know, let's just assume for a second all that is true, um, which I'm not sure it is, but let's just assume that all that is true. I don't want I don't want men's and women's swimming. I mean, you know, I'm a swimmer. I don't want those programs to be cut. I mean, the whole it's a problem that all these athletic departments, their budgets depend on football and men's basketball anyway for revenues, but that is the way that it works right now. And so I would have, what I'm saying is I would have respected them more if they come out and said, look, we need this money. You don't understand that the the universities, the entire athletic department is based on it. We need the money to come from someplace. And we think that we can do this in a way that doesn't eliminate, but minimizes risk. And we think that the players want to play, um, and so we th- we're going to go forward and give it a shot and see how it goes. I would have, you know, they do that. You can agree with it. You can disagree with it. But at least it's kind of like you're, you're having a conversation that involves facts instead of, like you're saying, this total BS that just a few weeks ago, there was no meta. I'm reading a quote from Shapiro in August. There's no, virtually no chance to quit safely about playing football. And then this week saying that, um, for me, it wasn't about political pressure, money, or lawsuits. Which is yes, he's claiming that because the uh, the testing has advanced so much in five or six weeks, and how they wrap testing, so it's it's far safer to do it. Than it was. Just, I was going to say something I shouldn't say in the air, but it's BS. Okay. Yeah, you're you're allowed to swear it's a podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I read that and I and I had a smile because. Uh, Part of the I'm going to go political. Part of the reason that Donald Trump has a following. This is always dangerous when you when I say something that I haven't thought through and it's just coming rolling off my brain as I'm thinking it. But part of the reason that Donald Trump has a following is he shows no willingness to play the game the way you're supposed to play the game. That's true. Say the things that you're supposed to say. I mean, he will never offend his base, but he's willing to trash everybody that his base dislikes and they love him for it. Yeah. Okay. Mort Shapiro, Morton Shapiro and all the other leaders of the Big Ten feel compelled to play the game. So yeah. they say something that all of us can see is total BS. And they say, no, no, no. We mean this. And so, Mick, if you want to take it further, it's like what they say when they justify, not literally Morton Shapiro, but what leaders say when they justify sending people to war. You, you get what I'm saying? It's just yeah. like, we all know it's BS, but they're giving it to us with straight, well, yes, no, uh, I, I reserve the right to change my mind when the facts change. <laughs> Freaking fact! Because you can test people faster? Yeah, exactly. After they have COVID, you can test them faster? Right, right. Yeah, after they've given it to everybody else in the locker room? What? It's But you see what I'm saying? I, I do believe that's part of the reason of Trump's appeal. He doesn't play that game. Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, he just makes stuff up all the time. I'm not saying he doesn't make things up. But he doesn't feel like he has to say the right thing. You talk right. about political correctness? 
that comment by Morton Shapiro is classic political correctness. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. You want you yeah, want to I say? Agree. I agree. So, uh, what do you think the political fallout of this is going to be, Mick? Uh, you you mentioned that Donald Trump is pounding himself on the chest and on the back uh, for having brought the Big Ten back. Uh, you're a Michigan resident. You you have a sense of Michigan politics. Michigan is, of course, an important swing state. So is Wisconsin. Iowa, not so much, but uh, it, it's in place for the Democrats. Do you think that people, a significant num- number of voters in Michigan will vote Donald Trump out of appreciation for Big Ten football being back? I have no idea how Michigan or Wisconsin will vote, but I don't think, however it votes, I don't think it will be because of Big Ten football. (laughs) I just don't. I mean, um, listen, I don't think it hurts Donald Trump to be in the news. You know, I don't I don't think it hurts him to be in the news for something other than uh, his mishandling of the pandemic, his racist comments and the long line, long list of other uh, corrupt or unpresidential things that he's done. So I, I, in that sense, it doesn't hurt him. Um, I, then I proceed under the assumption at this point in time that most people have uh, long since decided what they feel about Donald Trump. And so the election will probably be determined by how many people are motivated to go to the polls uh, to vote against Donald Trump. Um mm. His so-called base, I mean, there could be something in effect with mail-in ballots. He's discouraged that so much. You know, he he could end up suppressing some members of his own base. But most of, I I just assume that most people who are for him are going to continue to be for him. Most people who can't stand him will continue to be against him. And the question is whether Joe Biden and his team can actually motivate people to go vote. Um, and I don't think the Big Ten has a whole lot to do with that. Um, but, uh, you know, he's in the news. He loves being in the news. So, <laughs> you know, what can I say? I, I do think that probably people who who love Donald Trump um, are, will, are probably going to be willing to give him credit for this as well. Um, and people who can't stand him are uh, going to be just continue to be aghast and uh, – consider this whole thing a lie um, that he did, a diversion and a lie, um, which is, I think, where most of my family stands at this moment. I shouldn't speak for all of them, but uh, even my, as I've told you before, I'm saying it on the air now, my once uh, Republican voting father has nowhere to go but to uh, Joe Biden um, and uh, uh, before that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama twice just feels like his party has long since deserted him. So even though he's not enamored with uh, the Democrats, uh, there's no choice whatsoever. He's uh, cannot stand Trump and um, the big 10 thing. I think he's just disgusted the same way I am about it. So doesn't buy it. And this is, this is someone who is uh, and even into football far longer and more deeply than I have. And, uh, has a history in his not so recent past of being a Republican voter back when he thought the Republicans stood for something. Well, uh, to quote our uh, favorite mayor, 
uh, our former mayor, I should say. Our favorite former mayor. Yes, I'm sorry to say Richard M. Daly. I think Rom is ahead of you right now in the contest for my personal favorite former mayor in terms that his post-mayoral career is more entertaining than yours. Although I would say that uh, Mayor Daly is a far better former mayor than Rahm. I think I've had this conversation with you, Mick. Um, this is the year, Rahm said, of the Biden Republicans. Uh, and that's what, which is such a freaking joke. Now we're sort of leaving uh, football, going to our our love of politics. Mick, he, he, he knows, here those, I was. He knows, Ben, real quickly, he knows the Biden Republicans well because that was Rahm's base, okay? So... <laughs> <laughs> Ron was a Mitt Romney Republican, ladies and oh, gentlemen. Man. And all you dummies in Chicago voted for him because Barack Obama told you to. Hey, uh, but uh, Mitt Romney, I am willing to, uh, I am willing to pardon many sins uh, of, of from Mitt Romney's past because uh, the bar is so low, and he uh, almost, I think, alone, right, has been uh, the Republican to stand up and not just say something critical of Donald Trump, but actually to vote against him. So um, the bar is low, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, credit to Mitt Romney where it's due. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you 100%. I am, I'm not even going to say the bar is low. I think uh, Mitt Romney has far exceeded Rahm Emanuel in terms of integrity. Uh, the way <laughs> that's for sure. Romney to other Senate Republicans, but I, I love the fact. <laughs> you know, well, because I was just saying that ideologically, you know, they're soulmates. Like their vision of how government should operate for the well-to-do, with some money trickling down to the rest of us is they share that vision. Uh, but in terms of being, having the courage to stand up to, you know, the most powerful figure in his party, Romney has shown, is exemplary. I just, you know, I, I don't think there's uh, any yeah. uh, denying that. Uh, but uh, anyway, no, I was just teasing because um, Rahm Emanuel has said that this is the year of the um, the Biden Republicans. And I noticed there was a poll. I saw that 5% of the Republican Party, um, the, when they do the polls, 5% of the Republicans polled said they're going to vote for Biden. So that's just a sliver Nick, I, my guess is to, to just to tweak what you said. It the issue is will I don't think very many people in America are going to be voting because they love Joe Biden or believe in his message or even know what his message is. I think on both sides of the the party line, it's do you hate Donald Trump so much that you're going to go out and vote, uh, and yeah. do you love Donald Trump so much that you're going to go out and vote? Right, I agree. I agree. And uh, so you're right. You're probably right. Um, football will not uh, play a role in this. I have to just say one last thing to you, Mick, before I let you go in terms of why I am disgusted with football these days. And I have struggled yeah. with this. Uh, I didn't watch Sunday's Bears game either. I, but I followed it. All right. I just have to admit I did follow it. Um, okay. This has nothing to do with anything other than I well, I can't get over Ryan Pace trading up to take Mitch Trubisky. Mick, I still can't. I know, you can't. You can't. I, I know you can't. can't. We've been talking about this for what three years. 
<laughs> Mick, I'll be you'll and be I busy. enjoy the conversation every time we have it. So keep going. <laughs> I will Mick is younger than me, so I'll be at uh Sunny Farm Senior Citizen Center. He'll come visit me on a Sunday afternoon and he'll bring some pudding for me because you know I won't be able to eat anything else. And I'll go, Mick, you remember you remember right? <laughs> I'll remember Ryan Pace, Mitch Trubisky, and Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. Uh, all right. Before I let you go, your thoughts on the parents. And I I have to get your thoughts on the parents who have been protesting uh, for the restoration of college football so their sons can play, who've been protesting here in Illinois, J.B. Pritzker's under yeah. siege from high school parents who freaking lost their minds. Nick, please help me understand. The, you played the game. Help me understand the mentality of a parent who is protesting for the right to have his son potentially exposed to this disease, which could then expose them to the disease. Help me out here, Mick. Well, I don't know that I can help you out. I'll just, I'll just, again, give a couple of autobiographical notes. Um, first <laughs> of all, <laughs> I was never that good of an athlete. My, my parents figured that out early on. My mother claims that I said to her one night when I was a little kid and it made her very sad that I, I, I looked downcast as I was going to bed. And she said, what's the matter? And I apparently told her that I had just realized that I would never be a professional baseball player. And I was very sad about that. Yeah. And she wanted to tell me, no, you still could. But she, she was honest and, and didn't try to tell me that. So my parents encouraged me and my siblings to um, enjoy sports, to, to love sports as a spectator and especially as a participant. And uh, certainly you want to win, you want to try hard, but at the end of the day, at the end of the game, the match, you know, to let it go, that it's for fun. And it's a part of life, but it's not the most important part of life. So they, I had a very healthy perspective actually on sports. It took me a while, it took a while for it to sink in for me that I was not a great athlete, but my parents were there all along and just supported us in that way. So I never had those kind of parents, you know. Um, my brother was a better athlete than I was, but even with him, um, you know, they, they were never pushing him that way. And we saw those kind of parents, even as a kid, I remember seeing those parents who were really hard on their own kids when they would screw up. And then they were, they were hard on the coaches and they, you know, it's just, they developed a star system mentality. They were little kids. I just was always alienated by that. So when I see what you're describing here, whether it's, um, you know, high school players, parents, whether it's college parents. I, I mean, some of the Big Ten, uh, the reversal, some of that was reportedly because players' parents uh, pushed so hard for it. I mean, there was a protest organized by players' parents outside of Big Ten headquarters a few weeks ago, which incidentally was empty because everyone was working remotely. It was kind of funny. <laughs> but no, they held a protest because they wanted their kids to play so badly. And so – Listen, I don't know. Are they are they sticking up for their kids because their kids love the sport so much? Is that what they think they're advocating for them? Or are they the kind of parents, and we've all seen them, who weren't stars themselves, or maybe they were and their glory moment has passed, and so they're living, they're, they're getting their, their glory days again, to, to quote Bruce Springsteen, through their kids. I don't know. I mean, I suspect that there's some of all of these people. Um, I, I actually get the argument that you know, health is determined by happiness and mental health and physical health. 
and you need to exercise, blah, 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 all that kind of thing. But you know what, Ben? It just doesn't, it just, there's no evidence that this is safe to play this contact sport right now. So I just find the whole thing crazy the same way you do. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll close with this. Uh, do you uh, have any articles from ProPublica you'd like to tell people about? Uh, anything they should know about? Uh, any great projects that are uh, forthcoming? Or well, they- um, I think there is something coming out this week. I'll have a short piece, I think, this week that's related to City Hall. Uh, but I've been working, as I probably told you last time, on a couple of long-term projects that are I think inching forward and hopefully we'll see the, the light of day soon uh, because if they don't, then I'm going to go insane and you'll be doing a show <laughs> about me acting crazy. So. All right. That would be a fun show. Mick Dunkey has <laughs> lost his mind and we're going to uh, discuss that one. All right, Mick, uh, I don't know what you're going to do this weekend without football. Uh, you may well, have to- I'm, tonight I'm planning to watch the NBA. So there you go. All right. We got, uh, um, we got playoff games, so there you go. I just want to say this, that there's been an evolution in McDumkey's sporting life. I've seen it. When we first met, like, in the, in the middle of the O's, I can't remember when it was, Mick, you were more of a college guy. I'd be like, I was the pro guy. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I have, and now, and, and I always kind of re- thought of you as uh, – Football, baseball, and then ba- college basketball. And to, I really got to appreciate the fact that you've fallen in love with NBA basketball. Um, to the, all the points we said, it seems like the players are more empowered than the football players are, probably because yeah. they have better contracts, let's be honest. Uh, and um, better P- There may be better PR, too, for all I know. But the culture around, I'm interrupting you, but the culture around the game at the NBA is very different, right? I mean, there's still maybe mostly rich people in the stands, but I mean, listen, the players have Black Lives Matter shirts they're playing with, you yeah. know? So it's just a different world. Um, I love basketball generally. I just love the game. I always have. You're right that I've always been, March Madness has always been my single favorite sporting spectacle is March Madness. Uh, but A, we didn't have that this year, and B, for all the reasons we talked about earlier with problems with um, so-called amateur athletics and all the money involved with the NCAA and their hypocrisies, I've moved more toward the NBA in recent years. And um, I also figure then with the Bulls, I might as well get in. I might as well get in when the buy-in's cheap. And if they ever get good again, I'm going to say I saw it through the whole rebuild. So there you go. Okay. All right. Very good. All right, Mick Dumkey, thank you so much. Uh, ProPublica, Mick Dumkey. It's a pleasure. It's always having great having you on the show because all we do is recreate what we do in real life anyway by talking. There, there's no acting here, folks. <laughs> no. no thing. Yes. All right. That's Mick Dumkey. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. <laughs>